Okay, we are in Esther chapter 4 today, starting at verse 1. So we made it to the next chapter. Okay, now let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We thank you for this book, for the things we can learn about your faithfulness to your people, even when we don't see it. And uh, just pray that you'll, you'll bless our time now this morning. Help us to understand your word. Help us to apply it in our own lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> okay, for context, we'll go ahead and, and we'll just read the, the whole chapter. It's not that awful long, so... Okay. You want to start? Yeah. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. And he went out only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In each and every province where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict, which had been issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show Esther and inform her and to order her to go into the king to implore his favor and to plead with him for her people. And Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then, the instruction she, then, the, then she instructed him to say to Mordecai. All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter, so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. You get a long verse. Verse 12. <laughs> Very short. When Esther's words were recorded to Mordecai... Oh. Nope. Verse 12? Oh, yes, yeah, excuse me. Yeah, just a little... Okay. Different yeah, different wording than mine. You're right. Mine. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent this time, relief and deliverance will rise to the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And Esther told them to Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens will also fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. 
Okay. So last week we saw that uh, Haman uh, basically went and told the king that it would be to his benefit to get rid of all these this troublesome people. Didn't tell him it was the Jews. And also Haman promised to give him 100, excuse me, 10,000 talents of silver, which yeah. works, works out to over a quarter of a billion dollars. Which he didn't have yet. <laughs> which he didn't have, yeah. Um, so the king gave Haman the signet ring, and Haman had this edict written up and sent out to all the provinces and all the different languages, just like they always do with their edicts. And this was to utterly destroy all the Jews on the 13th day of the 12th month. And so this is occurring in the first month, so it's 11 months away. And then we saw Ahasuerus and Haman sat down and ate dinner. In the meantime, it says Susa was in an uproar because of that news. Let's turn to Psalm 83. I was reading another book this week and it referenced this passage and it fits in with Esther. Um, We're going to read verses 1 through 8, Psalm 83, 1 through 8. Why don't we go ahead and read around? Marie, you want to start with this verse? O God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God. See how your enemies growl, how their foes rear their heads. They make shrewd plans against your people and conspire together against your treasured ones. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation so that Israel's name is remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord. Against you they make a covenant. The tents of Edom and Israelite, Moab and Hagrites. And Assyria also has joined with them. They have become a help to the children of Lot. So we see, you know, this psalm written around the time of David about how the, you know, the nations, this, it lists all the nations that surround Israel. They want to wipe them out. And that's what uh, my version uh, translation, New American Standard, says in verse 4. Come, let us wipe them out as a nation. And if you notice the list of the nations in verse 7, we have Amalek. (laughs) And that fits in with what we've mentioned about Haman being an Agagite, which means he could be a descendant of Amalek. He could be an Amalekite. And so we see this desire to wipe out Israel from the time of David continuing on now until uh, the time of Queen Esther. (coughs) Okay, now let's get back to chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 3. It says, And Mordecai learned all that had been done. He tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. And he went as far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in each and every province where the command and decree of the Lord came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. 
So the Jews react to this edict with, with a great deal of grief and mourning. And this is such a stark contrast with Haman and the king. They just sat down and had dinner. Um, and it starts by describing Mordecai. Tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth, covers himself with ashes. All these individually are different signs of mourning. Let's go to, back to Ezra, chapter 9, and verse 3. This is where Ezra learns about the intermarriage issue that they were having. Ezra 9.3, would someone like to read that for us? When I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. Okay, so here he is in mourning. He tears his garment. Now he adds here, there's, there's one additional thing, you know, he tears out some hair. But he doesn't do the ashes, he doesn't do the sackcloth. Um, doesn't say he wailed and weeped, but uh, Mordecai does. Um, says he cries loudly and bitterly. The Jews did not mourn quietly. We we tend to be silent sufferers. You know, we, um, they made a great display of their grief, and this they would hire. Yeah. Mourners. They would hire mourners. They had professional mourners who would come and wail and weep, and you know, that was just. It goes on in the world today. In oh, in many places, yes. Yeah. Um, our culture doesn't do that. We we mourn quietly, normally, uh, but not all. But it mentions the end of the last chapter. The city of Susa was in confusion, uproar. Well, it was all these. All the Jews throughout the whole city were out mourning and crying and wailing, and uh, of course it was making an effect. So Mordecai does this. He goes to the palace. He doesn't stay at home. He goes to the palace, but he can't enter the king's gate. Um, that was prohibited, so he he stayed outside the gate. He didn't. That's um, and we've seen before where the officials sit in the gate. So that's actually like entering into the um, government buildings. And they, did, they did, uh, did not allow mourning and sackcloth inside the um, inside the, the building itself. You had to put on a happy face for getting there, huh? Well, you at least had to take the sackcloth off. <laughs> um, you think about a happy face, it reminds me of Nehemiah. Who was in the king's presence, and you remember the king looked at Nehemiah and said, "You know, why are you downcast?" And it was like, "Oh, I, you know, even that was probably prohibited." And, um, Interesting that like pulling hair out is going to show, even if you do put on your regular clothes. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so he, he <laughs> pulled out one. I, I can imagine tearing a lot of hair out. That was hurt. Um, so he goes, he goes to the palace, and it doesn't specifically tell us why at this point, but we'll see it here in a little bit. He wants to make sure Esther is aware of what's going on. But it goes on and says, every province, we had 127 provinces, the Jews were mourning, uh, weeping in sackcloth and ashes across the whole empire, just like Mordecai was doing. Okay, going on to verses 4 and 5. 
Then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and told her, and the queen writhed in great anguish. And she sent garments to clothe Mordecai, that he might remove his sackcloth from him. But he did not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. So Esther finds out from her maidens, her eunuchs, her uh, assistants, that, that Mordecai is outside the gate, that he's mourning, he's got showing this extreme signs of grief. And this shows that those inside the palace were um, isolated from the world outside. And she did not know what was going on unless she heard it through, um, through her assistants. So it also appears Esther did not know why Mordecai was grieving. Um, but the fact that someone so close to her was in such anguish disturbed her greatly. Um, you look at the NIV, she was in great distress. ESV, she was deeply distressed. Well, the fact that word got back to her from the date, there must have been a network of you know, support for her. Yes. That they would bring word back. That... Right, right. She found out that uh, she was distressed because Mordecai was showing, was wailing and weeping. The New American Standard translates this word. The queen writhed in great anguish, which I think is overstates it. <laughs> you know, that's something that, I mean, if you're in a lot of pain and things, you, you writhe in pain, but I, you know, I, I think that kind of overstates it. I, I looked the word up, and it's, it's a fairly common Hebrew word, and it's got a lot of variety of meanings to it. I wrote some of the passages down, but I don't think we need to look at those. Do you think her attendants knew who Mordecai was to her? Because I thought they were keeping that a secret. Some of them, I think, probably knew. Or was it just Mordecai was known to be in the gate, so they brought news to her? Yeah. Um, I think the fact that they would bring news specifically to her meant that they knew, someone knew the relationship. Yeah. So, yeah, they were related somehow. They might not know the relationship, but they knew they were related. Right. So she was upset because he was in such deep grief, but she did not know about the edict. So she didn't know why he was upset. So, you know, maybe Mordecai had some per- great personal loss and she wanted to find out, you know, what's going on. So, she sent clothes to him. The idea is he could not come in to the gate in sackcloth, but if he put on these clothes, then he could come into the palace and she would be able to talk to him and uh, find out what was going on. But Mordecai rejected the clothes. He insisted on staying outside in the sackcloth. <coughs> and the you know, commentary suggested this was to demonstrate to her that it was a really, really serious issue going on and that um, he was not going to take off the sackcloth. Um, <clears throat> so she summons Hathak from the king's eunuchs 
Now the queen had her own little compound and she would have her own maidens. She had her own eunuchs. We saw that earlier in verse 4. The Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and told her. So now she summons one of the king's attendants, one of the king's eunuchs, to go to Mordecai. So it, it may be that they had rules about, you know, the queen and her attendants could not go outside the gate. They had to stay within the palace complex. So she ordered Hathak to go out, find out what, was, what Mordecai is doing and why. Going on to verses 6 through 8. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict which had been issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show Esther and, and inform her and to order her to go into the king to implore his favor and to plead with him for her people. So <clears throat> Hathak comes outside, meets Mordecai outside the city gate, and Mordecai is ready for him. You know, it looks like this is what he wanted to happen. Um, and that's why he was, he was outside the gate. So <clears throat> it says Mordecai told all that had happened to him. So this may be giving him the backstory about Haman wanting him to bow down, his refusal to bow down, and Haman's anger. You know, this may have been part of this whole backstory about, you know, what led up to what's going on at this time. Now we see that Mordecai knows the exact amount of money that Haman promised to give to the king. So Mordecai was probably not in on that conversation since he was the target of Haman. I doubt Haman would have <laughs> had Mordecai there in the present. So we, we know Mordecai at least has some informants who are close to the king, pretty high in the government, who can let him know what's going on because otherwise he would not have heard about this. <clears throat> I don't think it was included in the edict that went out. So it was not necessarily public knowledge. Make friends with the servants that are part of the backdrop. Yeah. <laughs> so he's got ears inside the throne room. Um, he also happens to have on him a copy of the edict. See, you know he was prepared. He wanted to give that to Esther. So that's why he's at the gate. So he knew someone was going to come out. So he was going to stay out there and wail and wail and wail until someone came out to find out what all the racket was and that the someone would be connected to Esther and he could give the edict to him to take to Esther. Um, and so he, he ends this section. He tells Hathak to really to urge Esther to go to the king. New American Standard says that to order her to go to the king. Now, word does not necessarily mean that she, he has to give her orders, but this is a very strong urging. She needs to do this. She needs to go to the king. She needs to plead with him on behalf of her people, which means that she has to let the king know that she is a Jew. Up to now, 
you know, Mordecai's been telling her, don't let anyone know that you're Jewish. So at this point, she will have to let him know that. Okay, going on, verse 9. And Hathak came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and, and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. And you have all the king's servants and the people of the king, king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner court, who is not summoned but has but one law that he be put to death, unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not come, been summoned to the king for these 30 days. And they related Esther's words to Mordecai. So Hathak is now the go-between. They've got him taking messages back and forth, back and forth. Um, so he must have been a reliable messenger. You know, Esther summoned him. She, you know, he may be someone who knew the whole story of what was going on. He may have known that she was Jewish and, and who Mordecai was, or if, he, if not, he figured it out probably. Um, Let's look at Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs 25, someone like to read verse 13 for us. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his master. Okay, we've got a faithful messenger here. And he's refreshing this is, you know, in the time of harvest, hot, dry, and, and he brings them snow cones, so he refreshes their soul in a sense. Um, but Hathak is an example of a good faithful messenger. Um, not only is he going to deliver the message accurately as required, he's also not going to spill the beans to Haman of what's going on. He's going to keep it confidential. Okay, so Mordecai's message ends again with him strongly urging Esther to go to the king and to plead for her people. But there is a problem. You don't appear before the king unless you're summoned. Um, now, it was possible to request an audience with the king. So he has servants who go in and out of his presence on a regular basis. You could request through them that the king um, summon you into his presence. You could request an audience. Um, <clears throat> now the penalty for this again was death. Didn't just walk into the king's presence. The penalty was death unless he p basically pardoned you on the spot by holding out the golden scepter to you. Now the commentary said that um, this... Pardon? Hope he hasn't lost it that day. Yeah, <laughs> misplaced it. Misplaced um, it. The commentaries say that this law was had been established in the kingdom of the Medes long before they joined together with uh, Persia to become the Media Persian Empire. So this had been going on for centuries, and it really, you know, it was part of it was to, um, I guess. Show the king's separation, his exaltation above the common people, 
You did not even come into his presence unless you're summoned. Um, and I think of Hebrews, you know, let us approach boldly to the throne of grace that we might find help in time of need. We have, we can walk right into the throne room of God. He's given us that privilege. There's such a contrast here that this king is isolated. Um, So Esther adds, she's not been summoned by the king for 30 days, almost for a whole month. She hasn't seen the king. He has not asked for her. She has been, you know, and and the commentaries have some speculation. She might have been afraid that she had fallen out of favor with the king for some reason. Why would she have more security than that? Previous queen? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, if... And, and if for some reason she wasn't, you know, in the king's favor, he might be reluctant to extend the scepter. He may have just, you know, the honeymoon is over. It's been like four years since he, he selected her to be his queen. Maybe he's thinking, okay, I'm tired of Esther. I may want a new queen. And this would have been an easy way to get rid of her. You know, she shows up at the door and he's, sorry, <laughs> you're gone. <laughs> um, so she wasn't sure. It's been, you know. Um, and another question is, you, you could request an audience. Why didn't she do that? Did might get rejected. <laughs> well, first, yeah, first King might say no, but um, if she asked for an audience, the tenant would have said, uh, why do you want to see the king? You know, what's your reason for coming in? And again, the the number two man in the in the uh, government was Haman, and very likely that a lot of the attendants were um, connected with him, and they would have said the queen is here to talk about the Jewish situation, and and Haman would have said no way, and is she a Jew? And okay, add her to the list. So she really couldn't get around this. She couldn't let her her purpose, her mission be known to this inner group of people because they were the ones who could have stopped her and and uh, and destroyed the whole the whole purpose here. <clears throat> so this problem was then taken by Hathak and back to Mordecai. <coughs> Looking at verses 13 and 14. And then Mordecai told... Okay, they related Esther's words to Mordecai in verse 12. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. So now this messenger knows the story. Yeah. So he understood. Mordecai was, he might be wondering if Esther thinks that, you know, she's isolated from this whole issue. You know, that She's not going to get sucked into it. So she's not going to die. You know, um, but 
he wants to remind her, you're not going to be able to hide the fact that you're Jewish. It will come up. Um, and the execution order is part of the law of the Medes and the Persians, and it cannot be changed. You know, even if the king re- realizes what's going on and regrets his decision, he cannot change it. Um, we had that uh, that same thing uh, with in the book of Daniel when. Uh, um, Daniel's been appointed to be second in command and, and uh, all the other satraps are set out to find a way of getting rid of him and they trick the king into signing the law that says that you know you can only pray to the king for the next so many days and Daniel keeps praying to his own to the true God and it and they come and say, well, Daniel's, Daniel's violating your law. He has to die. And, and the king regretted it. Remember, he was up all night praying and hoping that Daniel would survive the lion's den. He could not change the law. And that would have happened here with Ahasuerus. If they found out that she was a Jew, he could not change the law. She would die. Same as Daniel being thrown in the lion's den. <coughs> Okay, now here's one of the, I guess, uh, most important passages in this book. Um, It says, you know, who knows whether you've attained a royalty for such a time as this. But we see Mordecai's absolute faith in God, that he is going to fulfill his plan. Um, God will save his people Uh, no matter who stands up, no matter what happens. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 46. Jeremiah 46, and would someone like to read verse 28 for us? Jacob, my servant, do not fear, declares the Lord, for I am with you, for I will make a full end of all the nations where I have driven you, yet I will not make a full end of you, but I will correct you properly and by no means leave you unpunished. Okay, so there'll be a lot of discipline, a lot of destruction of other nations, but God says, I will not make an end of you. There will always be a remnant. Um, but they will be disciplined. God's sovereign will shall be done here. And if Esther doesn't act, God will raise up someone else. Esther and her family will perish. So this kind of answers a question. You know, if I fail to do God's will because of fear or disobedience, will God still accomplish his will? Absolutely. We won't get the blessings from it. We'll miss out on that. Um, But God's will shall be done, whether we do it or not. Um, You know, and I've heard that one in in context of witnessing. What if I don't witness to them? Are they not going to be saved? 
Now, if God wants to save them, he'll save them. We miss out on the blessings that accompany that, that accompany obedience to God, but God's will will continue to be done. <clears throat> so, then Mordecai asked her this question. Did God put you in this position as queen for the purpose of saving your people? And she really had to think about that one. You know, why are you here? Um, and the, the thing is that you go through this passage, it doesn't mention God. How, you know, I, I can't teach it without talking about God. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, God's doing this. It's not luck, it's not karma, it's not whatever. You know, this is uh, God's sovereign providence here. He's carrying out his plan. He's got Esther in this position uh, to save his people. And at this point, it appears that Esther realizes that Mordecai is right, that that's why she's there. Let's turn back to Genesis chapter 45. This is Joseph. And he's in a very similar situation. Genesis 45. Some elected verses 4 through 8. Joseph knew very clearly and plainly why he was in Egypt. It was to save the Jewish people. There was only a handful of them at the time, but that's why God put them there. So this is the heritage of the Jews. Mordecai should know this. Esther should know this story. And, you know, when he told her this, you know, is this why God put you here? That should have come up in her background, in her you know, she should have known from God's word that, that God does this. And that she's in the same position as Joseph was. She was there for one purpose, one purpose only. It was to save his people. Sometimes fear, I think, overtakes what we know. We know because, <laughs> Often, uh, yeah. Yeah, because it says all the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, 
Yes. Because that is what happens later on in, down in the next in chapter. In the next chapter, right. But I would be a little afraid of that too. We all would, you know. But then the relationship with Mordecai, she was always submissive to him. Yes. And I think she was, she was just comforted by his words. Uh-huh. And then she realized that, well, this is why I'm here. Yep. That's why I think she, she could do it. Yes. She also she she wasn't just submissive. She trusted him yes. and respected his and his opinion. Yes. And him, and he'll be so wise and raised her. Yep. In in his trust in the fact that God is going yes. to accomplish His purpose yes. through His people, you know, it's really mm-hmm. evident. Yeah. And again, it's... The passage in Joseph is just one of my favorites because, you know, he had every reason to be upset with his brothers. Yeah, and <laughs> right. what God did, it's just God's grace to work that into his life yes. that he could then see. It doesn't really matter if people did me wrong turns yes. because God was in charge of it. God, God used the sins and the hatred and the anger and the jealousy of his brothers to bless Joseph and put him in the right place yeah, and accomplish his will. And, you know, he probably saw that he, when he was humbled that he was a cocky kid. You know, yeah. I mean, he, he probably saw <laughs> sin for what it was. Yeah. yeah. He shouldn't have told his brothers and not after Well, I mean, it was the truth. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> They would have still, they would have starved, yeah. Yeah, you think about those things too, right. because yeah. they probably wanted to. Yeah. Probably couldn't. But that it, it didn't happen that way. Yeah. And this, I wanted to save his wanted to save him. And this is something else, you know, we we can look at ourselves and say, Why am I where I'm at? You know, why did God put me here in this place at this time? You know, there's some reason for it, you know, and we can be aware of the fact that God has purpose for us. Um, you know, we always think, you know, I'd be better do more someplace else, but no, not really. God, God is here at this place at this time for His purposes. So, so God's will is not always action, but sometimes where you're at. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, we, we're up to the last two verses of the chapter, or three verses, and her answer to, sent, to go back, and we're out of time, so we'll have to finish this chapter next week. Um, Brian, would you like to close in prayer for us today? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this story, and we want to thank you for you allowing us into your presence without the thought of death and stuff like that, like they did in the, back in the old days. And we want to thank you for your protection. And be with Robert in this next hour to come and open our minds and, and hearts to your message and what you have for it to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray.
Great. Amen. Amen. Good morning.